As we go to open God's Word together, let's ask Him to bless it to us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you've declared in your word, is not my word like a fire and like a hammer which shatters a rock? Your word which goes forth from your mouth shall not return to you empty without accomplishing what you desire and without succeeding in the matter for which you sent it. So bless it to us now, we pray, for we ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Please be seated. And please turn with me in God's word to the book of Mark, chapter 8. Mark, chapter 8. If you're visiting with us, we're glad to have you here this morning. We've been considering a series through the book of Mark, and we've come to chapter 8. You'll find that on page uh, 1073 of many of our Pew Bibles. Mark is the second book of the New Testament between Matthew and Luke. And so Mark chapter 8, where we find Jesus feeding the 4,000. And so we want to read this account from Mark chapter 8, verses 1 through 10. And let's pay careful attention, for this is God's own word. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered, and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd, because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. Thus far the reading of God's word. May he bless it to us. Well, this morning we have another feeding miracle. I don't know if that account we just read, boys and girls, sounded somewhat familiar to you. Uh, maybe you even thought maybe the pastor misread the, the Bible. He's already demonstrated today that he's not perfect. Um, and so maybe he misread. Maybe it should be the 5,000. Isn't that the people that Jesus feed? They were 5,000? Well, this is another miracle. This is a second miracle that Jesus does, and it's a lot like the first one. So if you heard a lot of similarities, there are a lot of similarities here to the feeding of the 5,000 that we read about back in chapter 6. There's a similar setting. They're again in a desolate place or in a wilderness. It's a similar sized crowd. It's another crowd of several thousand. Uh, There are similar conversations between Jesus and his disciples about bread. Jesus asks them the same question he asked them back in chapter 6. How many loaves do you have? Uh, This great miracle has the same menu. It's bread and fish. There, there were five loaves and two fish. Here, there are seven loaves and several small fish, um, but it's the same menu. The same instructions, everyone is to be seated, and the same miracle. The Lord Jesus takes the bread, he breaks it, he prays for it, 
He gives it to the disciples to serve out to the people. And the fish and the bread is multiplied so that everyone is able to eat their fill. And there's even a similar abundance left over. There were 12 basketfuls of food left over in chapter 6. There are seven basketfuls of food left over here. And a similar departure. After the miracle, they all got in a boat and went across the sea. Here, they all get in a boat and go across the sea. There are many similarities. Um, It's led some liberal commentators to say this is really just the same thing being repeated. Um, But, of course, to, to come to that conclusion, you have to think that the Holy Spirit doesn't know his business or what he's doing. This is not uh, the same miracle repeated. It's another miracle. Um, It's another miracle with a lot of the same features. But I think what Mark is intentionally doing for us is giving us so many similarities so that we would take particular note of the differences. Uh, For our minds and hearts to be drawn to see so many similarities, but also to see more clearly in that contrast the differences between the two accounts. Because I think it's really in the differences that God makes his point to us in this book, that we see the new things that the Holy Spirit means to teach us in this second miracle, this second great story that really highlights the compassion that our Lord Jesus Christ has for the people. Uh, This is a demonstration, once again, of his great compassion for this crowd and that Jesus demonstrates his great compassion by addressing the needs he finds here. Uh, There are two problems, both of which are addressed by the power of God. There's the problem of need and there's the problem of forgetfulness. And those are addressed by the power of God in the miracle that Jesus does. So that's how I want to think about this passage with you. The problem of need, the problem of forgetfulness, and how they're both addressed by the power of God. One of the first differences we see between these two accounts, between the account of the feeding of the 5,000 and now here the feeding of this 4,000, is the actual circumstance that provokes our Lord's compassion. In both miracles, he speaks of the compassion, or Mark tells us about the compassion that Jesus has for the crowd. What provoked his compassion for the 5,000 back in chapter 6? Well, we read in chapter 6, verse 34, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Uh, There, Jesus' compassion was provoked by the fact that the crowd had no teacher. The crowd had no understanding. And so the expression of Jesus' compassion to them was expressed in his teaching. That's how our Lord showed his compassion. The feeding miracle that followed was really subsequent to, to, to the focus there. The compassion was in the teaching that he saw them like sheep without a shepherd, and so he taught them. That's how he expressed his compassion. What provokes our Lord's compassion here? Notice what he says to the disciples in verse 2. I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. Here his compassion is not provoked by the fact that this crowd does not have a teacher. In fact, he's been teaching them for three days. 
They've been taught that's not what provokes his compassion. What provokes his compassion is this crowd has been with him now, listening for three days. They've exhausted all the supplies they've brought with them. And he says, you know, if I send them home now, a lot of them won't make it home. They're too hungry. They're too lacking in food. If I send them away, they'll get faint on the way. And some of them live very far away. This isn't a crowd that lacks a teacher. This is a crowd that lacks food. That's what provokes Jesus' compassion upon them. And that difference, I think, is teaching us something different about our Lord than it taught us in, in chapter 6 in the, in the miracle of the 5,000. It's teaching us something that our Lord cares about our needs. He has compassion on us because of what we are in need of. We often think about his compassion in terms of our spiritual needs. We recognize that we have a compassionate Savior who's taken pity on us because of the state of our souls. Uh, our, Our liturgy is rich with reminders of our spiritual needs and how those spiritual needs have been amply provided in Christ. But this passage reminds us that Christ also cares about our normal, simple, earthly needs. Now, Jesus doesn't just care about the big things in our lives, sin and death and hell. Jesus also cares about the normal, simple things in our lives. Our Lord has compassion on us for all of our needs, and both miracles teach us that. The 5,000 were reminded in chapter 6 of the great truth that Jesus spoke in Matthew 4, 4, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. They needed the word. They needed their spiritual lives tended to. What is the reminder Jesus gives us to this crowd of 4,000? It's the truth that he taught in Matthew 6, 31 through 33. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Here are people that have clung to the Lord for three days, who have listened to his teaching. Even as their food was running out, they would rather stay here with him than go. Even though there was no hope of food for them in this desolate place, in this wilderness, They preferred the Lord. And the Lord is going to teach them here that if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added to you. To those who come to the Lord seeking to be filled, he will not now send them away empty. Jesus cares about our needs. And he addresses this problem of need to his disciples. It might strike us kind of interesting that Jesus addresses this problem and then addresses it to the disciples. Um, If we put ourselves in their shoes, uh, we might be tempted to kind of say something similar to what they said. What am I supposed to do about that? Uh, Okay, how can anyone do something for this great crowd of people in this place? So Jesus makes this need known to the disciples, and how do they respond? In verse 4, how can one feed these people with bread 
here in this desolate place. Now, there's something in that that sounds very normal, right? What what are we supposed to do about this? Um, But that's what makes the fact that this miracle follows the feeding of the 5,000 more poignant, right? How can anyone give them bread in this desolate place? We might want to say, hello, weren't you just there back in chapter 6? We were there. We saw Jesus feed 5,000 in a desolate place. Now you've got 4,000 in a wilderness. Can you guys really not connect the dots? Do you really not know what's going on here? How can you not see? How can you not know? Um, Haven't you guys learned anything? We might be tempted to think that way. I think the passage teaches us they have learned some things. Right? When he was teaching the 5,000, they presumed to come and interrupt him. They said, okay, Jesus, that's enough teaching for the day. It's getting late. Send them home to go get something to eat. You remember what Jesus said to them? You give them something to eat. And they said, well, I mean, even if we had the money, we wouldn't be able to afford to buy all the 5,000 people. We wouldn't be able to afford to do this. So the disciples have learned something. They do not come interrupting his teaching. They don't come to him when the hour's late and say, okay, that's a day of teaching, that's enough. It's now been three days, no interruption. Jesus comes to them, so they've learned something, but they haven't learned everything that they need to learn. Their response shows they still have plenty to learn. How can one feed this people with bread in this desolate place? Uh, It's interesting because the word feed that Mark uses here could also be translated satisfy. How can one satisfy these people with bread here in this desolate place? I point that out because it's the same verb that Mark used back in the feeding of the 5,000 when he told us all ate and were satisfied. It's the same verb he will use here again in chapter 8 to tell us that all ate and were satisfied. It's a reminder that they're kind of putting their finger right on the truth they should have known. Who can satisfy this people? The one who's already satisfied a people in the wilderness with bread. Have they so quickly forgotten what they saw? Have they so quickly forgotten the power and grace of God that has already been displayed to them and through them? They're the ones who kept coming back to the five loaves and the two fish and found that they always had enough to carry out and distribute to the 5,000. They were intensely close to this miracle. Have they forgotten what God can do? I love John Calvin's comment on this verse. He says that the disciples show excessive stupidity in not remembering that earlier proof of the power and grace of Christ. That they should have applied what they saw in the feeding of the 5,000 to this situation and not acted as if they had never seen anything of the sort. And we kind of want to say, amen. We don't because we're reformed, so we won't do that. But we kind of want to say, amen. That's an excessively stupid way to act. To so quickly, thank you, to so quickly forget what God has done. 
It does seem to be an act of excessive stupidity and forgetfulness. And we all nod our heads and say, yep, that sounds so true and so right. You know the next thing Calvin says? He says, not a day goes by where we don't do something similar. There's not a day that goes by that we don't do something similar. It's at this point where we say, no, okay, Calvin, I'm happy with you calling the disciples excessively stupid and forgetful. I don't very much like being called excessively stupid and forgetful. There's not a day goes by that we don't do something similar. But if we think about it, he's right, isn't he? Don't we often go out into the world and operate as if we've forgotten everything about what God has done for us? by His power and by His grace? That we are faced in our own lives with some present crisis, some difficulty in our personal lives, some difficulty in our family, some difficulty at work, some kind of personal spiritual crisis, and we forget about all the past power and grace that God has showered upon us in Christ, all those past demonstrations that He cares that he's concerned, that he's active for his people. And not just forget those great and general demonstrations of his power and grace like he does in this miracle for this people here, but the personal things he's done for us. All the times that he has been our helper, all of the past difficulties that he has seen us through, And we find ourselves talking as if Christ is not on his throne, as if he doesn't still have all power and authority given to him, as if he is not still willing and able to help those he loved, as if that Lord who gave up himself body and soul on the cross to die for sinners somehow has stopped caring or stopped having the power to deliver. We are an excessively stupid and forgetful people at times. We act in ways that act as if we've forgotten all that God has done for us. And what does that cause you to do? It causes you to lose hope for the future. Right? It's the forgetfulness of what Jesus has done in the past that causes the disciples to lose hope for the future. How can anyone do what you're saying? Because they've forgotten the past demonstrations of power and grace, they can't carry those forward into the future and hope in them. And we can find ourselves in the same moments of life saying with the disciples, how can anyone help me here and now? How can anyone help me? How will anyone be able to carry me out of this wilderness that I'm in? And we forget the one who has carried us so many times through the wilderness moments of our life, who has always been there to be our helper. And that's where the good news comes to us in this passage. It comes to us in the midst of our amazingly sad capacity to forget Jesus and to let the problems of this present life crowd out the memory of his power and grace in the past and cause us to lose hope for the future, it's precisely into our sad capacity for forgetfulness that Jesus comes with his reminders. We may have a daily capacity 
to be an excessively stupid and forgetful people. But our Lord Jesus Christ every day is the same. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he will not let us remain in our forgetfulness. He will always come and give us fresh reminders of his power and his grace. And that's why we find wonderfully that Jesus meets their problem of forgetfulness with the power of God. And he does it in such a way that's deliberately tuned to remind them of his past power and grace. And it begins with him asking the exact same question he asked them before. Right? How can anyone give them something to eat in this desolate place? And Jesus says, how many loaves do you have? How many loaves do you have? Go have everyone sit down and then give the food to me. And then again he breaks it. And again, he gives thanks for it. And again, he adds fish to it. And again, he distribu distributes it to the crowd. And again, it's multiplied. And again, everyone eats and is satisfied. And again, there's mountains of food left over. What is all of this calculated to do? Do you see how it simultaneously meets the need of the crowd in Jesus' compassion for them to be fed and also meets the need of the disciples to be reminded? I think all the repetition here is to be a reminder to them of what Jesus has done, to remind them of the amazing and abundant power of God and grace showered upon us in Christ. And that's what's highlighted in this miracle, that all the problems we have have the same solution, which is the power of God in Christ. This miracle emphasizes God's activity in the miracle. There was one prayer highlighted for us in the feeding of 5,000. Jesus is told, we're told he prays twice in this meal. Once for when he breaks the bread, once when he distributes the fish. That's, that's over and beyond the normal amount of prayers. What is he driving home to the people here? That everything that happens is from God. That this miraculous provision, everything that Jesus is doing, is coming from the hands of his Father. It's confirming the testimony of Scripture that our God is a God, as Psalm 146 tells us, who gives food to the hungry. That our God is the God who Psalm 145 tells us about. That the eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. Jesus is showing them that everything that proceeds here is a miraculous provision from our God and that it should be marvelous in our eyes that he's able to do these things for his people in need. And it's another further reminder that the power of God is in no way dependent on our resources and what we have. Once again, this miracle highlights that the Lord can do enough with a little to feed many. He fed 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. He fed 4,000 with seven loaves and a few little fish. He doesn't even need that. He can send angels to bring food and water like he did for Elijah in the wilderness 
or like he did for Jesus after his temptations. He doesn't even need to use angels. He can make bread fall from heaven as he did with manna in the wilderness. God is in no way limited by the things that we see around us. He has power to act through what we have. He has power to act in spite of the fact that we have nothing. The power of God is in no way limited by our present circumstances. There should never be an occasion in the life of God's people to say, but I'm really in a wilderness. How can God do anything for me here? His power is His power. Irrespective of where we are and what we have, we have a God who can provide and can provide abundantly. What is the lesson that's being driven home about the power of God in this miracle? It's not just that it all comes from God. It's not just that God is not dependent on these resources. It's that God can take little, far too little, to meet the needs of his people and make it overflow in abundance. What is being reinforced in this miracle? We don't have a God who just provides for bare necessities. We don't have a God who is a minimalist. Right? I always love Calvin talking about the the bounty of our God. He said, God could have given us a bread and water, black and white world. We don't need color to live. We don't need rich foods to live. You could survive in a black and white world on bread and water. But he said the fact that that's not the kind of world God made, that it's filled with color, that it's filled with beauty, that it's filled with things that we don't, strictly speaking, need, but he showers upon us, is testimonies to his goodness. That his goodness overflows into a world that's filled with beauty and color and music. It's a testimony to who he is. These meals are testimonies to who he is. Right? Some people try to get into what, what's the significance of the fact there's 12 baskets left over and what is the significance of the fact there are seven baskets left over and try to play games with the numbers and try to figure out. You can probably do all of that. But what is the clear message that's being taught? When God gives, there's leftovers. There's plenty left over. He's an overflowing fountain of grace. There's always more than enough from his hand, because that's the kind of God that he is. It's true of the physical food that he gives here. It's true of the spiritual graces that he lavishes on his people. One of the most precious little verses to us in all of the Bible ought to be James 4, 6, where we read the simple words, but he gives more grace. There's always more grace to be had from our God. Um, I think often of that verse, and I think often of Alec Matier's insightful comments on the verse. He gives more grace. He says this, what comfort there is in this verse. It tells us that God is tirelessly on our side. He never falters in respect of our needs He always has more grace at hand for us. He is never less than sufficient. He always has more and yet more to give. 
Whatever we may forfeit when we put self first, we cannot forfeit our salvation, for there is always more grace. No matter what we do to him, he is never beaten. We may play false to the grace of election, contradict the grace of reconciliation, overlook the grace of indwelling, but he gives more grace. Even if we were to turn to him and say, what I have received is so far much less than I deserve, he would reply, then you may have more. So far less than enough, you may have more. His resources are never at an end. His patience is never exhausted. His initiative never stops. His generosity knows no limit. He gives more grace. It's a wonderful thing to think about. That God would never come to us and say, that's enough. I've given you enough all now to eat and be satisfied. You have enough. You have enough and seven baskets full left over. This is the God we have, and it's most powerfully demonstrated to us when he sends us his son, who dies as a sacrifice on the cross and gives his life, which is the power of an infinite life for the sins of a finite people, such that the value of that sacrifice is sufficient to atone for the sins of the whole world, and as people would say, and 10,000 worlds beside. You cannot exhaust the power of his life. It's sufficient to cover all who need to be covered by him. And sufficient for all who would come, because it's a life of infinite value. That's the God we have. That's the God who will always give us more than enough. Who gives us more than enough food. Who gives us more than enough grace. This is the God we have. And if we remember and keep before our eyes all of his past kindnesses, in Christ and all the blessings that flow from him as, being, as our God from being our Father, that will give us hope for the future. That will keep us from crying out in unbelief, who will help me here in this desolate place? We remember the God who's always been our help, who's been our help in ages past, who'll be our hope for years to come, who will never leave us or forsake us. He has helped us. He will help us. It's the same Lord that still reigns in heaven. That heart that had such compassion on people who had no shepherd, on people who had nothing to eat, he's the same God that lives at the right hand of his Father. That same compassionate heart still beats in his chest for his church. And he has lost no power by ascending to the right hand of his father. If anything, he's more well-suited to make do for his people where he is than even he was on earth. That's why he said to us, it's better for you that I go. It's that same Lord that still lives and reigns who had such compassion on his people here below. It's the same Lord who will always help us by his power to meet our needs and overcome our forgetfulness 
by his wonderful grace. May we always hope in our Lord Jesus Christ and in his great compassion for his people and know that his power is more than sufficient to meet any problem we experience here below. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for sending us a Savior who is so full of compassion toward us. We pray that you would help us to remember all the ways you have showered your power and grace upon us in him. Help us not to forget your past kindnesses. May the memory of them sustain us in every present crisis. And may the memory of them also fill us with hope for the future. And now to you who are able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to you be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen.